All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Fields Financial. Again, I'm your host, uh, future financial advisor, college student <laughs> investments major, Christian Fields. Um, back with some more information for you all, man. Something that you all can take, digest, and uh, use in your daily lives. So, um, today's episode, uh, once again, like before, we're going to start off with a, a brief market overview so you all are knowledgeable of current uh, economic times. And then we're going to jump into um, a, an important topic that I think is uh, very useful in today's economy, uh, mutual funds. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, so to start off with our economic news, uh, the debt ceiling conversation is um, sort of inclining at a, uh, a very uneasy rate. Um, as said in the previous episode, uh, the debt ceiling for the U.S. could be reached as early as June. Uh, this would be the maximum amount of money that the U.S. Uh, can borrow without default. And uh, so they're, they're negotiating right now, they being Congress, uh, negotiating a way to raise this debt ceiling or propose some sort of bill or solution that would prevent us from reaching this debt ceiling. Um, however, in a recent meeting, uh, Republican debt ceiling negotiators uh, reportedly left the meeting early because Democrats were uh, quote unquote unreasonable. Um, that was the exact word used. Now, I did not watch the actual meeting. Um, I did not get any names of people involved. But uh, what I can say is that from a young investment major um, perspective, it's pretty disappointing to see that our, um, the highest people in, in our government, right? The people who are in charge of fiscal policy can't come together, can't put their own, you know, political differences aside. And remember that the reason they are in the position that they're in is to, you know, serve our country and help do what's best uh, for our country, not for their own individual parties. So. Uh, but again, nothing new. Um, in my personal opinion, this problem will be solved. Um, problems like this usually are, are solved because the repercussions of them are, I mean, so immense, right? It's something that we would not like to see. And uh, especially with current times, um, like the bank runs and the high interest rates, right? It would definitely not do us any more justice <laughs> in our economy. So. And with that being said, um, global bank and wealth manager uh, UBS, uh, who just bought out Credit Suisse uh, maybe about two months ago after Credit Suisse uh, crashed pretty hard, uh, said that they predict a 20% drop in equities, uh, essentially a good majority of the stock market, upon reaching the ceiling. Now, of course, this is not something that the average um, investor, uh, parent, you know, student, whoever it may be, wants to hear because it's going to trickle down and affect all of us in some sort of way, right? If you have a 401k, this will affect you in some sort of way. If you are a very, you know, avid investor and that's how you provide for yourself and your family, um, you don't want to hear this either, right? So if you have a pension plan, you don't want to hear this either. I mean, it's going to affect how companies are able to sustain themselves, right? It would lead to a much higher amount of um, things like job cuts and interest rates rising even higher, which would push us more into this sector of the uh, quote unquote recession that's been uh, looming over our heads for um, what, maybe a, a year now? People have been waiting for this recession to come. Um, so not something we wanna see, um, not, not a great position. Uh, however, 
once again, the U.S. Treasury is the most reliable um, payer of debt in the, in the country, right? It's the only entity that has essentially no history of default. Um, being backed by the full faith and credit of the United States is as strong as it gets here. Uh, so I think that's all we can rely on right now. Other than that, it's a lot of uncertainty and uh, waiting for the next meeting or next bill to come along. But I will be sure to um, keep you guys up updated on that. Um, however, about what I said on UBS predicting a 20% drop upon reaching the debt ceiling, uh, investors are not worried. And this uh, amount of worrisome was measured by uh, an implied volatility index created by Citibank. Now, what they did was they took uh, a bunch of companies such as uh, Raytheon, for example, who are linked to the U.S. government in some sort of way. You know, for example, uh, Raytheon is a government defense contractor, right? Uh, people who rely on the government for their money, right? Their funding. Uh, the implied volatility for these stocks being traded has actually gone down um, over the last month and over the last year as a whole. But the month is more important because that's what we've been seeing the conversation about uh, the debt ceiling being reached. Now, what that means is people are not uh, trading the stock more now that they've heard this um, plan about the debt ceiling possibly being reached. Um, that means people aren't worried, right? People aren't selling off or people also aren't, you know, buying it like crazy, hoping it will go up. Uh, it's remaining pretty leveled, right? If you look at a, uh, a graph of this implied volatility, uh, it's pretty cyclical, right? It, it looks uh, fairly normal to an extent. So that is something good to see. Um, as we know, investors are emotional beings, right? Because as investors are humans, right? We, we are all people at the end of the day, um, no matter what we do for a living. So um, it is good to see that people have not reacted uh, tremendously yet. And hopefully it will stay that way because um, throughout history, an investor's reaction is almost uh, just as consequential as the event they are reacting to itself right um people follow other people uh just like investing and in like anything else in life right if you're trying something you look up to the biggest in the game right the gurus uh if you're an athlete in high school you're probably looking up to some of the biggest names in football right now right what are they doing what routes are they running you know how, how are they practicing who's their coach what plays does he make it for him, right? It's just the same thing. Um, an example, Warren Buffett. People have notoriously followed him throughout his um, investing career. So the fact that people are remaining leveled uh, is, is good, and hopefully it will stay that way. Um, now going into, uh, for the month of April, a review of uh, the sectors which had uh, the most changes uh, as far as inflation. So, uh, for the month of April, we saw restaurants, general merchandise, and e-commerce being purchased uh, more. They were all up around um, 1%. And we saw clothing, electronics, and furniture all being negative uh, for the month of April. So interesting, uh, once again, for this conversation of recession, it is, I mean, it's so unpredictable at this point. <laughs> you know, it's like um, we're not buying as many phones, but we're eating out more right um, and as we know inflation encompasses you know food energy housing pretty much everything that um, is 
can is or can be bought here in the United States. So it is very hard to just look at one metric and, and determine, you know, oh, this is a sign of a recession. You have to look at everything, right? So you have to look at the debt ceiling. You have to look at volatility. You have to look at inflation. You have to look at um, consumer sentiment, right? As so what we see for the month of April, um, honestly, it, it's fairly balanced, right? Uh, nothing out of the, the normal. Um, however, people tend to um, find aspects of the market that that verify their own feelings, <laughs> right? So I'm sure you all will be seeing uh, a lot of information about why this could be good or bad or, you know, anything in between, uh, which it could be, but it's, it's just that, right? It could be. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I will leave that there. Um, going into the Federal Reserve, um, Chairman Jerome Powell uh, spoke recently, uh, and again, today is, it is May 21st. So I believe uh, last week at some point, he spoke on interest rates saying that he could uh, possibly see uh, a pause in increases as early as next month, uh, being June of 2023. Now, his reasoning for doing this is uh, interesting, but I think it's valid. He said the current uh, finance and bank industry the, the current position it's in between bank runs and their uh, Fed funds and interest rates being all over the place is already easing inflation enough um, because, again, these banks are having to raise their interest rates, uh, not only from loaning from one to the other, uh, the member rate, but also loaning out to uh, consumers, right? People um, holding their deposits in the bank. So uh, people are actually spending less money because they're being charged higher interest rates at the bank. And this is slowing economic growth. And basically, as bad as the bank runs were, right, it's, it's helping the Federal Reserve do what they uh, are in charge of doing, which is keep the economy in balance. Uh, their goal of inflation is 2%. Um, I believe by the end of the year, they were trying to reach 2%, but uh, that is a bit of a stretch just being, just, just seeing how wonky interest rates have been for the past year. I mean, we, we started off at the same, you know, May, 2022, around um, 5%, right? Hit 9% in September, and now we're back down to just under five. Um, it is, you know, now that I'm saying it out loud, uh, we might be in a good position to hit uh, 2%, actually. Um, as, as crazy as it seems keeping up with these federal um, bank meetings and trying to understand what they're saying, um, you can see over time that they are doing their job, right? And I, I saw Powell got a lot of slack on him for his uncertainty, right? And his confusion in his words and not being clear. And I think that is because uh, he's just truly not, uh, he's, he's not aware of a clear answer yet because we're not in a clear situation. You know, I really believe that the state our economy is in right now is uh, an anomaly in history. And some point in the future, we'll, we will look back on it <laughs> and economists and, you know, the average person will look back on that time and say, I remember when eggs were nine dollars. Um, <laughs> I remember when gas hit seven dollars. You know, it's, it's going to be one of those conversations. So um, on further economic news uh james gorman ceo of morgan stanley uh, stepping down after 13 years of serving as the company's ceo um he had a goal set to bring in a trillion dollars of 
uh, wealth management every three years. And the uh, company Morgan Stanley continues or seeks to continue to do this. Now, here's the big issue with him stepping down. Um, it's not the fact that he is stepping down. It's the fact that one, this process will take over a month. Uh, it was said to, for him to officially step down and be in the position of chairman. The other issue is they are stuck between three candidates right now, right? And they haven't decided who they want to pick. And uh, as I was watching on Bloomberg earlier today, it is forecasted that this will take up as, as long as 12 months, so a year, to pick the right person for this position. Now, a power trip in a company is, is not a good thing, especially one of this caliber, because what we're going to see is a lot of um, nepotism and internal competition and possibly losing sight of the company's goal. Right. So everyone can achieve what they want. Um, we could also see, you know, with whoever is chosen, a large shift in the company's direction. Right. Because whoever is chosen may see you know, a different route in Morgan Stanley than uh, James Gorman saw for the past 13 years for a company of this size with um, trillions of dollars in AUM and thousands of people employed. Um, you never know what can really happen, right? It, it can send shockwaves th throughout the company, uh, thus going out to investors, um, just thus going out to other investors and other uh, large management companies as well. So I don't think it was a, a good idea to not have someone uh, lined up, you know, and at least keeping him in position until there's someone in office, because let's say this does take 12 months to happen, right? If he's done in the next 30 days, well, we have an 11th month window of this company not having defined strong leadership, right? And it would be very interesting to see how the company will maintain its direction for almost another year without proper guidance. But um, that is uh, the end of the market review segment of the podcast. Um, all in all, I think our market is is still holding strong, um, although the debt ceiling is being reached and um, inflation and interest rates have been a problem for a very long time now. Uh, the US dollar is still the strongest dollar. Um, we are still seeing increases in uh, job openings and uh, job reports while also seeing interest rates go down, uh, which is, is good, is a positive thing. And as slow as it is happening, I believe our, our economy is headed in the right direction. And that is ultimately what we want to see, right? Um, if, it, if it were to just go back in position too fast, uh, it, it might just go back to where it was too fast, right? <laughs> For example, if inflation just drops down to 1.5%, we would see a crazy influx of um, demand and not enough supply, right? Inflation would just rise right back to where it was. Um, we might see jobs reports change drastically due to something like that. So um, all in all, I think we're in a good place. All right, so now we're going to get into mutual funds, what they are, uh, what they do, what purpose they serve, and most of all, uh, why are they important? Why are they relevant, right? So we're going to start off that conversation uh, focusing on the two major types of risk uh, when investing in the stock market. 
So you have your systematic and unsystematic risk. Now your systematic risk is something that uh, is faced by the entire market at once, right? Uh, not, not a result of, or not a consequence of you investing in a certain company. Unsystematic is uh, the opposite. It is the result of you investing in a certain company and a risk um, held inherently by that company uh, or industry, right? So for example, uh, we mentioned the bank runs earlier and in the previous episode, right? Uh, that would be considered a unsystematic risk because um, it is relative to the finance sector of the stock market. Uh, another example is uh, currency risk, right? The risk of the uh, value of the US dollar decreasing, uh, for example, with the debt ceiling. That is systematic risk, right? <laughs> Something that your investment um, or your choice of investment cannot get rid of. And so you want to make smart investment choices that try to combat both systematic and unsystematic risk um, at the same time, right? As best you can. You usually can't eliminate both, but um, mutual funds do a good job of limiting both of them pretty well, right? And that's because mutual funds are one, professionally managed, right? And second of all, um, they are essentially a pool of investments uh, along with yourself and thousands or maybe millions of other investors um, who are all putting money into a pool of stocks, bonds, and other securities, right? So um, the best way to combat systematic risk is diversification, right? If it's hitting, uh, if it's definitely gonna hit the whole market, you don't want all your eggs in one basket, right? Uh, but what a mutual fund is, is it's like um, a very large basket uh, filled with smaller baskets, right? Um, you can invest in so much at one time and um, therefore the value of your dollar holds up um, pretty well throughout those investments. Uh, again, they're also professionally managed. Um, typically, they do have lower returns. However, uh, we previously had the conversation um, in the last episode about uh, high risk, high reward, low risk, low reward, right? Just like with um, pretty much anything in life, honestly. Um, at least I can say that as a, a 21 year old, right? <laughs> who, who hasn't uh, lived a, a full lifetime yet, but um, high risk comes with the possibility of high reward, high reward, right? And low risk comes with the possibility of low reward, right? And um, mutual funds are very low risk uh, because there's so many precautions taken. Uh, for example, you have multiple managers, uh, multiple investments, right? They're not making uh, many risky investments. They're, they're pretty risk averse or conservative with investment decisions. Uh, mutual funds are typically linked to something uh, like an endowment, uh, which would be, you know, a fund held by an entity like a, a university or a church maybe, right? Or uh, something like a, a very large, you know, corporation's uh, 401k plan might be designed to follow a, a very big mutual fund, like one held by um, a large bank, like, um, I, I don't know, uh, T. Rowe Price, right? So when you're investing in these mutual funds, you are getting your dollar everywhere at once. Uh, this one mutual fund may be invested in 
both the, the the finance and the health sector right and for commodities you also get a little bit of gold and oil and for bonds you get a little bit of uh treasury and corporate bonds right so you, you get to spread across the stock market uh with a single investment um, which is great for people who uh one don't like risk right but second of all uh don't really have the time or, or maybe not the funding to afford someone who has the time um, i.e a professional uh to to make investments that are catered towards them right a mutual fund is your next best thing uh, because you know these decisions being made um, about what you're investing in are ultimately for not just your benefit but thousands of other people's benefit at the same time right and so you can trust that uh, these choices of where your dollar is going will be uh, meticulous and, and well thought out and purposeful now with a great investment like this um, of course comes a little bit of a downside and that is fees uh, mutual funds usually don't do come with uh, management fees because they're actively managed uh, meaning they're constantly looking at you know possible ways of, of expanding the fund uh, throughout the day so these fees uh, will be paid when you put your money into the fund uh, mutual funds are a little different than stocks or bonds in that you do not usually buy uh, per share but you invest based on the amount of money you have and however many shares that gets you right the, the amount of money you've put in is the amount of shares you have but it's it's less about the, sh the shares and more of um, just your percentage of the fund and and the total amount you have put in um, for example with stocks uh, if you want to buy shares of you know I'm not sure uh, Netflix and you have um, I don't know 500 bucks that's probably not <laughs> a lot for a Netflix stock but let's just say in, in a an ideal world right that gets you uh, 10 shares of Netflix stock. Well, that is how you would uh, look at your account, right? That's, that would be your understanding of your position is I have 10 shares valued at this amount of money uh, for mutual funds. Let's say the fund um, may have a required minimum investment, um, which it typically does. Let's say it's like a hundred bucks and you say, well, I want to put in 300 bucks, right? That means however many um, shares of the net asset value of the mutual fund, which I'll explain in a minute, uh, buys with 300 is what your position would be. Now, what the net asset value is, it's the um, value per share of the fund held by investors um, that they receive upon purchasing it. And it's it changes every day, um, usually at the end of the uh, stock market business day being 4 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, that is when they take the outstanding shares of the market, um, along with the uh, current value of those shares and the, the money invested in. They calculate how much uh, one share is worth, which then determines how much um, your value in the fund is worth, right? So it does um, change on the daily, again, not, not drastically, um, but it is something to be aware of. Um, it's something that you don't want to keep looking at every day because it will probably drive you crazy to see all these constant numbers changing. But um, in an economy that we're uh, that that we are in, not to sound repetitive, right now, 
uh, mutual funds would be something to take, you know, some some real good consideration on because um, they diversify, right? You, you get to avoid something like the uh, bank runs that started around March, um, something like the debt ceiling wouldn't just completely kill your portfolio, right? Or UBS predicting a 20% drop in equities. Um, your mutual fund hopefully uh, wouldn't just be equities, um, equities being stocks. Hopefully uh, it should have a good mix of bonds, commodities, uh, maybe even some, some some futures and other, you know, intense trading methods in there as well. So it is ultimately a, a great way to provide some security in your portfolio in an environment, um, in an economic environment where things are uncertain, right? Um, it's a great way to have the value of your investment, not just completely, you know, butchered by a change in inflation, for example, right? Whereas historically, we see um, stocks go down when inflation is up, right? Or with interest rates. Historically, we see um, bond rates or bond yields drop when interest rates rise, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like a, a inverse parallel relationship that you can look at during, you know, any point in history. Look at a graph and, and you could just compare the two right away and see what I mean, right? So mutual funds give you a, a mix of all of that. They also are um, available to the, the average investor, right? Then it's not something like a, um, a hedge fund or some incredibly you know, reliable uh, stock or long-term bond that requires thousands of dollars to get into. Um, you can find mutual funds as little as, um, I've seen $25, you know? Uh, they typically start around $100, I'll say, but uh, look around, do some research, I will definitely come back with um, some names to drop. Um, however, there's only so much I can do because as a non-registered advisor, right, I have not um, passed the education level to receive such, um, such accreditation. I cannot just give advice, right? So again, seek a real professional advice, real professional's advice, excuse me, um, before making these decisions. I'm here simply giving you the information and the tools um, to take to the next level, right? To do so, to go off and find that professional and um, hopefully get some, some more um, financial growth in your life. That's my ultimate goal in doing this podcast, right? Is to share the information that I'm learning as an investment student, as someone in rooms with all of these um, finance gurus and, and analysts and economists, right? That I get to talk to on a, a weekly basis and just give the information to you all at a rate that you can um, understand, you know, as, as people of this country and people who are contributing to the economy, uh, you deserve to understand and know what's going on in the economy, right? So take it, use it. And thanks for tuning into today's episode. And I will see you all next week. Thank you.